right, hello people. We are trying something out here for the very first time. This is Movies After Work. Uh, my name's Thomas Green. And I'm Alex Duez. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And by you guys, I mean whatever three of our friends we convinced to actually watch this. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're keeping the bar low. <laughs> Doing ourselves a favor. Uh, this can be something new we're trying out. A nice podcast for us to... Uh, talk about mainly the world of movies and uh just trying to keep our energy up as we talk about it as yeah, we exactly we deal with kids and work uh making sure that we have so much stamina and <laughs> so much time in the day to basically just watch one movie a week yeah which is already a chore enough yeah no that's already pretty exhausting so but that is our goal uh this first episode will be a little bit different yeah. Um, we're going to talk about each of our favorite films of all time. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. F- uh, first, just a little bit of uh, history on us. We became friends working at a local movie theater here in our area in Pittsburgh. Yep. Uh, started working there together. We were two of the only people that were really movie fans mm-hmm. that, yeah. that worked there. Yeah, Strangely definitely. enough, not a lot of uh, people who watched movies working at the movie theater. Yeah. So, but uh, since then we both have gone on to do other jobs that are almost, if not more, time consuming. Yeah. I'd say. Well, definitely having a kid was the biggest part of that for me. Yeah. Um, I probably would still be wasting my time at a movie theater if I didn't have a two-year-old, but, uh, you know... Working in the movie theater was probably the most fun job I've ever had, but we wasted oh. a lot of time there. Oh, easily, easily. <laughs> but yeah, no, having uh, yeah, you have a two-year-old. I have a about to be 16-month-old. 16, 16 mm-hmm. um, they keep us very busy, but we are working to be able to at least once a week, each of us watch the same movie and then come and talk about that and any of the other news that's happening in the world of film that we think is worth talking about. Yeah. Well, you realize as a parent of a young child, the best way to watch a film, and that's uh, about half of it at one night, and then, you know, the second half, three nights later, whatever you have an hour. I would say if you can get through half of a movie in one night when you (laughs) have a kid that young, your kid is, that's a a good sleep night for Mm -hmm. your kid. Oh, yeah. That or your kid took a decent length nap on that rare day off. (laughs) Uh, so it's one of the two. It's always one of the two. Yeah. So, uh, but first, um, just like with going to the movies, we're going to start with movie trailers. Uh, talk about some of the ones that came out this week and our feelings. I know for some of these, we have uh, very different I'm so opinions. Excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so which one yes. would we want to talk Al- about? Alex, Alex is more excited for things we disagree about than, than the things that I we're both I don't think excited. we disagree as much as you think we do. <laughs> Uh, well, let's start. We got the um, we got a couple of new trailers for the new X Men movie, Dark Phoenix. Yeah, which my anticipation level could not be lower. I it's it's one of those movies for me. I watched the trailer and I go, I didn't even want to see that much of the movie, <laughs> and I just saw it for free as like a two minute trailer, exactly. and that's still more of the movie than I 
I had really wanted. Well, it kind of made see. me appreciate it, though. I don't have to see it in theaters. <laughs> I feel like I got my fill watching a two-minute trailer. Well, yeah. Well, and after after we had initially talked from watching that second trailer, I did find that international mm-hmm. trailer, and it really it really does tell you like I didn't uh, bother to we'll watch another two minutes of, of X Men footage. It's I, it's literally just like okay, here's the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, with it's very explicitly. That is Mystique, who is dead. Well, yes. And they've been... And I find it fascinating that the writer, I think it is, of the movie has been very open about the fact that, yes, they're killing off uh, Jennifer Lawrence's version of Mystique because that was how they wanted to raise the stakes. They wanted to raise the... They, and for some reason, they wanted to do that before the movie came out. They didn't uh-huh. want you to go see the movie and have the shock in the movie of thinking, oh, okay... All bets are off. Yeah. Well, um, if anyone cared about Jennifer Lawrence's mystique after X-Men Days of Future Past, I mean, if they wanted to raise the stakes, they'd kill a character that I cared about. Well, I don't think they have any. <laughs> that's I true. think that's, I think, I honestly, I think if, I think if they were going to kill off a character that made me impressed that they would do it, it would be their jubilee from X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> I, that's the one where I go, wow. Just if so she could have so, even less screen time than Apocalypse. Like, you guys just... Well, and it would be interesting because killing her off would give them the challenge of, okay, you could say no, or you could break tradition, and you could say her name. Yeah. Because <laughs> they got through all of X-Men Apocalypse never mentioning her name, which I thought was fascinating. Um I think the, that would make for an inter- more interesting eulogy if no one still says her name. <laughs> <laughs> As they bury her. Oh, she was wonderful. Just a All, lot of she's. It's just the pronoun game. They just play the pronoun game with her funeral. No, but I mean, Mystique is just taking the place of Professor X in, well, from yeah. The Last Stand. And I I mean, if they wanted to kill Professor X, that would probably be a more interesting... I mean, I would care more because I like James McAvoy's Professor X more than I like Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique. But that's the, I, that's the only... That would still not make me care about this film. Well, and it's one—it's one of those things that where they can literally do whatever they want because they had you know Brian Singer came in, did Days of Future Past, where he erased X Men: Last Stand and killed yeah. off as many of the first class characters as he was allowed to in Days yeah. of Future's Past. He basically made a movie that only cared about undoing the movies that he didn't have a part in. Yeah, and we don't have—I mean, it's part of why. Logan to me had zero emotional weight because we all we knew about that version of Wolverine mm-hmm. was his berserker scene in Apocalypse. Yeah. We knew nothing else about that about that Wolverine. We didn't know, you know, if he shared any of the same history with any of the characters. We didn't know anything about him. Therefore, all of the emotional weight that he was they were trying to convey on him meant nothing to me. Yeah. Well. Uh, Logan worked as a film simply because they put out a noir version and if you put out a black and white version of anything I'm just going to eat it up <laughs> well, yeah. well I still on that I still need to see the blood and chrome version of Mad Max Fury that's, Road that's literally Mad Max Fury Road for some reason didn't click for me for so long and I don't know why because it is a movie on so many levels that should work for me mm-hmm. and I worked, watched the uh, black and chrome edition and it, it and just finally. worked. It just clicked. And I mean, so much of that movie is reliant on its palette of 
browns and reds and yeah but the black and chrome version just works for me it's yeah. so good like many people my immediate thought with the the black and chrome edition was okay well does flamethrower guitar dude still work in black and absolutely. white absolutely. And, I, that's, <laughs> and that's really that's all the that i think that's all that anyone cares about <laughs> but um so yeah so x-men yeah we're we're so excited we're I'm surprised we we got a lot of blood from that stone. For as uninteresting yeah. as that trailer was, we discussed that for a really long time. Yeah, no. Um, so next trailer, we uh, we got a second trailer for the remake of Hellboy. Uh, oh, my... I thought you were going Pet Cemetery. Let's save the good stuff for last. Let's save Hellboy for last. Okay, fine. We'll we'll go to Pet Cemetery, which. Um... Yeah, you don't want to see in theaters. Oh, absolutely not. Pet um, Seven to Eight. The trailer makes it look very interesting and also horrifying. And you saw a sincere, visceral reaction <laughs> when John Lithgow has his Achilles heel or Achilles tendon yeah. sliced at the end of the trailer. That was. I was sitting next to Tom, and a literal "oh fuck" came out of my mouth. Yeah, you were done. Yeah. You you were completely done. That's. Um, I mean, if I didn't think that I was. If I did think I was going to go see it in the in the tra- in the theaters while watching that trailer, that part just yeah sealed it that it was that I wasn't. I the thing that I'm most curious about with the movie is their decision to go against the book and have it be the older daughter and not the younger son mm-hmm. as the one who dies and then they resurrect. Okay. Um. I I think it could lead to a lot of good opportunities. My concern is that all those opportunities are going to be, hey, we have someone who's a little bit older, so it makes more sense if she says complete sentences that are creepy and weird. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my my whole concern with that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I'll make it to the theater for that one. I don't know if I'll be able to sit through without needing to take multiple restroom breaks or, you know, Oh, I need to go refill my drink. It's full Thomas. I need to go refill it. Uh, Well, I mean, if you want an in-depth review of the inside of my hands, um, then yes, we can absolutely see pet cemetery in theaters. And I will talk about it at length. Well, again, I will give you a very detailed description of what the restrooms look like. <laughs> and all the people that got sick of me standing in there like I was waiting for them to be done. No, um, you're making a fake phone call on that. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, no, so uh, Pet Sem- the original Pet Cemetery is on Hulu. So that's definitely something that I... Because I have not seen it up until now. So I definitely want to take a look at it. I saw like a chunk of it as on like a made or like an edited for TV version Mm -hmm. um, years ago. Yeah. So my, my recollection of the majority of the movie is incredibly fuzzy. So it's definitely worth a rewatch at some point. Yeah. Um, I just wish that they had gotten someone besides Jason Clark to be in the movie. Yeah. Um, Because he's going to have that whole, it looks like somebody punched him in both eyes, like hollow eye cry look <laughs> for the majority of the movie. And I'm just, that's, that's going to be the thing that's going to take me out of the movie. Yeah. But, um, all right. So next up, we got a second t- trailer for Shazam, which I'm excited for. You are excited for it. And I, 
understand that a lot of people are excited for it. And I... I don't understand why. I... I feel like... It, by no means do I think it's going to be a bad film. Mm-hmm. I see it and I see that it's probably going to be well made and relatively well acted and it's going to be a fun time, but I do not understand the excitement level that I seem to see around it. I feel like the excitement level of this film is as high as a Wonder Woman or as a MCU film. And I don't know, I can't point to an example that DC has given us to make me feel excited for this. Well, I think part of it is it doesn't look, it doesn't look like a DC movie. Mm -hmm. And with, and I think we've talked about this before, um, Marvel as a whole, comics, movies, TV shows, you name it, they make better superheroes. Yeah. DC makes better villains. Yeah. So we've got the you know, the comedy of Zachary Levi, which you're gonna get a lot of people on board with Zachary Levi because of Chuck, and you're gonna get a lot more people because of um the movie Tangled, the Disney okay. film. Yeah. So you're going to get all those people that love him from that, plus his general, like, his, I can't remember the name of it, but he has his fun little, like, side show that he does at Comic-Con every year where he interviews people. And he's okay. he's a very outspoken, very positive, friendly nerd. Yeah. Um, which gives people a lot of excitement. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like... You know, the moment where Ryan Reynolds gave the Green Lantern mantra at Comic-Con. Yeah. Or when Andrew Garfield revealed himself mm-hmm. as the the person r- reading the thing yeah. at the big, at Comic-Con for Amazing Spider-Man. It's, it's like if you took that moment and made it a person. Yeah. Well, there is, that, that is one thing I can say for, I'm not a Zachary Levi fan, um, which is probably why my excitement level is not super high on this film what's up it's gonna hurt it yeah um but that he does seem like one of the first people particularly in the uh dceu where he seems excited to be in the role yeah and you saw that with uh gal gadot and you haven't really you've seen that with jason momoa but less so with henry cavill and definitely less so with ben affleck well the problem is we didn't really get to see they kind of kept ben affleck in the background so we didn't really get to see him until that now memed to death the interview, sound, like, yeah, yeah. the the sound the sound of silence interview. <laughs> um, we didn't really get to see him until that point, so we never really got to see him be excited yeah. about playing the role, which was really. <laughs> but, um, but I I think we've got a good lead that's going to bring some really good opportunities to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do think is uh, the child actor who seems to be playing the uh, Billy Batson, he seems like a very competent child actor. Um, yes, I agree. I do think that the the kids that you see in the trailer, in the film, mm-hmm. they do seem to be bringing their A-game. It does seem to be competent, good child actors. Yeah, well, and the, the, the sidekick best friend yep. is... Um, is one of the kids from it chapter one okay yeah so we've already seen his we are we've already seen him we've seen him we've seen him handle comedy drama we've seen his acting chops before you know it's kind of like 
when they made it chapter one and they showed that Finn Wolfhart was going to be in in the movie, everyone went, awesome, we love him on Stranger Things, we know he's got it. With, with kid actors, you need, like, you have to have that initial frame of reference to what they've done yeah. to kind of have that extra bit of confidence in them, I think, yeah. at times. But the movie also has Mark Strong, who I love, who I still attest. If he had been Lex Luthor, Batman v Superman would still have not been a good movie. <laughs> but it, people would have been more forgiving of it. Yeah. I think people would have been a lot more forgiving of the quality of Batman v Superman. Oh, uh, there, there'll be a day when we can watch Batman v Superman <laughs> and talk about all the things that we could have done to make that film better. Everyone could. <laughs> um, but I think if they had had someone like Mark That's Strong... That's our special three-hour-long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> where we make it a perfect film by the end. Oh, dear God. They still end up saying like Martha. That's, li- that's still the climax of the film. I like how you think it would only take three hours. Um, <laughs> I, I applaud that bravery. Um, I mean, it only took about three minutes to make it infinitely better just by replacing the villain, so... There you, you know. go, yeah. So, okay. Um, so then our next trailer that we that we saw was this, the final trailer for Rocket Man, the Elton John yes. biopic, which... It looks phenomenal. I like that instead of going just the normal biopic route, they're making it sort of a fantasized musical. Yeah. Um, with a lot of production and a lot of a lot of flair. Yeah. Um, which is you know it's very appropriate for Elton John uh, to do that. Um, Taron Edgerton doing all of his own singing, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes the performance feel more sincere, even if the vocals were recorded prior to. I mean, exactly. That's, that's what most you know actors do. We can see him putting that energy. Yes. Um, yeah. Regardless of, I haven't seen the movie as a whole, so obviously a certain amount of my critique will be half-assed, I guess. <laughs> But I watched the Live Aid section of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And you don't feel at all like Rami Malek is doing any of the singing. Yeah. When he's doing that performance. It feels very... It feels like a lip sync battle. It feels... It, it, feels, it feels like it, I'm watching Jimmy, uh, Jimmy yeah. Fallon. He's, he's doing lip sync battle and either LL Cool J or Jimmy Fallon's over in the corner laughing. Yeah. Um... Maybe both. Who knows? Well, my one of my favorite parts in the trailer is, you know, I don't think they're going to shy away from some of the, the darker or heavier aspects of his life and the drug abuse and things like that. But you see when the um, when Elton John and it seems like his his manager or partner Jamie Bell, yeah, when they have the the argument backstage, um, he. You know, and he storms onto the stage, and he immediately turns around and you know apologize. And they have that great, and it's a nice couples moment without exactly. it being like they're gay. Yeah, and I mean, it's a sincere. It's how you would fight with your friend, or how would you fight? How you would fight with yeah. your significant other? Exactly. They're yeah, they're not going to borderline pretend that he's go just to the edge of pretending that he wasn't gay, mm-hmm. just to make the film a little more marketable. Yeah. Which, yeah, I agree, I like. Um, and if you 
get a chance and you haven't seen it, I highly recommend go on YouTube, find uh, Taron Edgerton and Elton John did a duet of Tiny Dancer. Yeah, I just saw at the uh, at the at Elton John's AIDS benefit, which took place the same time as the Oscars, and that alone should sell you on Taron Edgerton playing Elton John in the film, even if the trailer somehow yeah. doesn't. Yeah. But finally, <laughs> what apparently is the grand finale <laughs> the the Hellboy reboot uh, my reaction is give me a brick wall to bang my head into so I watched the first trailer and I said this looks fucking awesome this looks like Hellboy's a badass this it's got some some awesome music like I love the organization we're at it, the, I love everything about this it looks over the top. It looks crazy. And then the second trailer came out. And I said, oh, this is what I'm in for. This just looks fucking stupid. But I'm so on board. And I... You know, it was... It was the same reaction I had when I watched the... the whatever it was. The final trailer for the Power Rangers movie. And you realize that... Goldar is gold literally ripped from the ground and you go oh that's stupider than a man dressed up oh we did but I'm like I know what I'm in for now I'm in for this was not a well produced trailer smoke on the water was a horrible choice I don't know why you had to slow it down just because that's what every movie trailer wants to do nowadays what I don't get is you've got Hellboy you keep showing him with like the fire crown and the flame sword, and you keep yeah. You're showing saying, us third act. You're, you're showing us the climax. Well, of the beyond film. the fact that most of the trailer is the third act, you keep hearing them go smoke on the water, <laughs> and you keep going fire in the sky. Totally appropriate <laughs> to say it, and they never do. And I'm saying they're going. All right, you guys can't even get your opportunities together in the trailer. Yeah. No, just, and I, I, I mean, I didn't have the highest of hopes when I watched the first trailer. I thought the first trailer looked great. I thought mm-hmm. I would have a great time at the movies. I think see, watching the second trailer, I'm going to have a great time at the movies. I also think I need to shut my brain off, and I'm a dude who <laughs> never, ever says that. I don't watch the Transformer films. I don't watch the Fast and Furious films. But I'm going to go into Hellboy, and I'm going to expect something about as smart as Pacific Rim Uprising, which we walked out of. Oh, God. <laughs> but it's going to be a I spectacle. Still, it's absolutely going to be a I spectacle. I don't even think it's going to be a spectacle. We look at the trailers, and it's just like... Hey, I play video games. A really, a really good-looking video game scene, that's, that's a spectacle for me. And I expect that to be about as good as PS3 graphics. Really? Because I was looking at it going, Man, Devil May Cry 4 was more compelling... <laughs> And I spent half of that game wondering if the plot had started, and I missed it. And I love that franchise. But, no, for me, like, you've gone from Guillermo del Toro, who is arguably one of the best visionary directors in terms of creating a universe and a world and a style. He's absolutely one of the most unique. Like, you go from the hallways and and the office space, like, every space in the... The Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense, um, the B, the the BPRD, and in the Del Toro Hellboy movies, 
there's all sorts, you know, they've got all the relics that they've obtained. You've got all these interesting-looking people, and then you get this movie, and they show Ian McShane talking to people, and it looks like they literally just slight, they just upgraded all the items in the, um, the coloreds only workspace from hidden figures <laughs> it's that office space just without all the stuff from the 60s in it yeah and everyone's ha- and everyone's doing casual friday and you just so you're going you're taking this and well, like, not only that but the the guillermo del toro his his action set pieces his creature design it all looks so real mm-hmm. whether or not it was practical and most of it was yeah but it all looks like something that exists in that world. Yep. And this Hellboy, like... Everything's CGI. Everything's CGI. Everything's CGI, including Mila Djokovic's, like, weird... <laughs> her entire her weird, body? Her weird her bar- Barbie boobs that she's... <laughs> like, and it was one of those things where I was like, I'm not trying to perv out. I'm just trying to figure out, is she wearing something? <laughs> or did they just CGI her until she was smooth? Yeah, like, yeah. And it and it creeped me out. So, <laughs> I well, also the only I, thing that I don't think is CGI is David Harbour's Hellboy like mask. His allergic reaction face. to the red makeup. Well, he can't fucking talk in whatever he has on his face. I mean, I, I literally needed subtitles through that trailer, and I need subtitles on everything. But I, you can't understand what he's saying. I'm going to challenge people to make a drinking game out of this Hellboy movie. <laughs> Go see the movie. Take an alcohol. You're actually endorsing that. You're actually I'm, telling I'm, people to go. See I am endorsing this mainly because, again, like three people are listening. So, <laughs> but go see this movie. Take an alcoholic beverage with you, or if they sell them there, even better, get one of theirs. Keep the place going. Um, every single time in your head, you think, "Dude, inside voice." When he starts <laughs> randomly choosing to scream his dialogue, that's take acting. A, take a drink. That's that's no, that's acting. <laughs> The louder you are, the better you are. That's for, is that right? Uh, sure, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> so those are the trailers um, that we've watched recently. Um, I mean, little side ones here and there outside of that for me. Like, ones I've already forgotten for, like, shitty little indie horror films and stuff like that. Midsummer. Hmm? Midsummer. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, I did see the trailer for that. Um, I will be more excited for it when I watch Hereditary, I'm sure. I, I, yeah, seeing Hereditary will help me get excited. Knowing more about the movie will get me more excited, but I will say it has... I'm going to totally get his name wrong, so I'm not even going to bother yeah. remembering <laughs> it. But Chidi from The Good Place, I, I'm 98% sure I saw him in that trailer. If he's okay. in the movie, I'm more interested because he's a phenomenal actor. Gotcha. So... That'll make me more excited. I was confused in the trailer when the, uh, I guess the mother of the main woman was like, I heard you have big plans. You're going to this festival. It only happens every 90 years. Who's excited for this? If it only happens every 90 years, you probably only experience it once in your life. And maybe twice if you go when you're one and then when you're 90. (laughs) I, I'm sure that'll all be explained. Yeah, I'm it's sure. one. It's it's one of those things where also this guy has a weird, clearly has a weird fetish for people with facial disfigurements, which mm. I find kind of weird. It's almost like a. I'd love to see his take on Wonder. Oh god. 
<laughs> no, next he's going to do the Elephant Man, and it's going to give everyone nightmares. I mean, the... didn't the Elephant Man already give everyone nightmares? Actually, you know what? F- fuck it. Eric Stoltz isn't doing anything with his life. Let the guy make a sequel to Mask. Let's do that. Again, three people listening. Google it, because I'm probably talking to an empty crowd on that reference. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to dive into... Uh, to our two favorite movies now. Um, I'm going to start with mine just because I have a feeling we're going to talk a little bit less on it. Um, but my favorite movie, it's Limelight, 1952, uh, Charlie Chaplin film, mm-hmm. where he plays an aged former vaudevillian comedian who was famous all around for his work, rescues a woman after she attempts suicide to discover that she is a ballerina and as they work to build each other up personally and professionally they start to grow a bond together and it's charlie chaplin so it's funnier than i'm making it sound (laughs) um this is actually my first ever experience with charlie chaplin i mean i've known of him i Mm -hmm. you know am not ignorant to his existence or his you know mark on film and on history but um, this was definitely the first Charlie Chaplin film that I sat down and watched from beginning to end Um, you know mostly but yeah in the course of three days yeah Um, but yeah no it was really interesting it was really good film Um, it holds up incredibly well for being made in 1952 Um, it kind of it happens with those films that where the dialogue is a lot smarter and a lot and a lot wittier than it has any right to be, they hold up a lot better. Yeah, like one of the lines, and I I totally forgotten about it until rewatching the film. But he has the one line of like, "What do the stars do? Just sit on their axis." Yeah, and you're just like, "Okay, that's a line <laughs> that comedies these days aren't smart enough yeah. to write." Yeah, <laughs> but it totally like everyone can get that joke. Yeah. Um, but for me, I mean, the movie is his his love letter to his early childhood in vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, we don't really have... The closest thing I would say in this day and age that we have to vaudeville is um, the comedy groups like Second City, Upright Citizens Brigade, things like that. I'd say okay. that's the closest thing that we have in this day and age to vaudeville where they'll put on different kinds of shows with different, you know, you know, it's all comedy themed, but some are improvised, some are scripted, you know, that sort of stuff. That's really all that we have in this day and age that we can make a comparison to. But the other thing I realized when we were watching the movie, because we got about halfway through the movie together when we were initially doing this it's it's a it's another variation on a star is born <laughs> yeah, yeah i like it, it hit me like it's another variation except yeah, taking in the younger woman and uh, you know building her uh, up to be bu- helping be. Yeah. building her up while dealing with his personal demons yeah um alcoholism yeah, without, <laughs> which is the like, theme of them all. I guess. Let's yeah, let's face it. If you're a guy over, I'm gonna say fifty, mm-hmm. and you're in the industry and you're in a movie, you're an alcoholic. That's <laughs> it. Just seems to be the way of it. But I think it handles 
the whole storyline a lot better. Yeah. I think it handles handles that whole world a lot better. Um, and it's got really fun, like... Because one of the things that people credit Charlie Chaplin for was he did a really great job um, with incorporating the comedy into the story. Yeah. The Harold Lloyd, he did great work taking what you could do with physical comedy to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, Buster Keaton had this great less is more quality. Um, but with Charlie Chaplin, he, he definitely had a great gift of taking these, these storylines and throwing in comedy. So even with, you know, with this character, he throughout the movie, when he sleeps, his dreams are his acts. Yeah. He's dreaming his acts. Yeah. Like the first one, he's got his whole, um, you know, he he's a got he's performing an trainer, fleas. a he's, circus entertainer. Yes, he's um, trained yes. animals by the score. <laughs> lions, tigers, I'm all bored. That's gonna be stuck in my That's head good. forever. It's been running yeah. through my head for days now. So thank you. <laughs> this is like this film works incredibly well. And you're right that Charlie Chaplin, he his jokes are in service of story and character, mm-hmm. and they definitely they are moving the plot forward. And a character's humor defines them or shows something about their character. Mm-hmm. You, like him being a drunk is not a funny aspect of the film, no. but when he is introduced in the film and he is drunk. That scene is played for comedy. It's it's played for comedy, but it's also partially because it's you know it's Charlie Chaplin. You expect to laugh when you see him, mm-hmm. but there's but there's also just that level of setup to it. Yeah, because there is more underneath the. You've got this guy. He's a complete like he's this. You know, he's out in public drunk, which yeah. at the, you know, the movie takes place in, I think, 1914 is when the movie is set to, to take place. Yeah. And so for him to be this public drunk in the middle of the day, swor- horrifically scandalous. Mm-hmm. Like, but he doesn't care. Yeah. Like, he, you know, some kids talk to him and he, like, motions to them and everything. Yeah. Um, which to me... And I said this to you while we're watching it. I see Martin Short in that scene. I see the makings. I see where he impressed upon so many comedians of yeah. years back and even today. The the physical comedians that you see today and and that were popular a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. they're all drawing from Charlie Chaplin. They're all drawing from Charlie Chaplin or Harold Lloyd or yeah. Uh, Buster Keaton. They're all from those the the tri- they're like the the triad. Yeah. Uh, that's that really took comedy and made it more than just something you went to a nickel theater. Yeah. To go see they you know they turned it into an art form mm-hmm. and you see them in some level in in most comedians. Yeah. All good ones. Yeah. You see it in them. And that's that's something being you know kind of ignorant to most if not all of Charlie Chaplin's work um that's something I should have I should have recognized that that was Charlie Chaplin in that first scene but I turned to you and I was like 
Is that Charlie Chaplin? Yeah. Because he didn't have that signature mustache. He had the blonde hair and instead of the black hair. He didn't have the signature mustache. Yeah. He was in this like tattered tan suit that was mm-hmm. still kind of nice instead of being in the like weird black drab. Yeah. So. Well, what was so um, what was so interesting to me is how transformative just his makeup could be, um, because when he has his first dream sequence, I'm like. Is that the same actor? Is yeah. that still Charlie Chaplin? Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was a much younger actor. And mm-hmm. me being ignorant of most things, being ignorant of who Buster Keaton was mm-hmm. in relation to what time this was taking place, how old he might have been. Yeah. I was like, are we seeing Buster Keaton play that role? I didn't know if he was much younger at the time. Um, but it was interesting to see how transformative it was. And I don't know necessarily how old Charlie Chaplin was, but this was obviously a story of his age and... Um, you know, kind of his degradation and, you know, thinking he couldn't do it anymore, but he was still a very physical comedian in this oh, film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, when, when he rolls I, off the stage at the at the end in the on the climax, I mean, that's... You, I think that's him taking the role off the stage, and I mean, that still was impressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Every, everything about the film to me is impressive. It has a great ability to blend, to take a heartbreaking story and find humor in it. Yeah. And it, it's that whole, it's it's sort of the crying clown juxtaposition yeah. of like finding humor and sadness and vice versa. Yeah. And because of that, it really, it, it, it plays well and it it's a movie that I don't think is ever going to be unwatchable. Oh, absolutely not. Um, as a result. Yeah. And it ends... Heartbreaking, because he's very much, um, for like a modern film to compare it to, that third act, he is Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler. It's yeah. all about, like, you keep doing this, and you're done. You're yeah. gonna die, and he... Well, that's, that's interesting, because I... You kind of see your this film its fingerprints on a lot of other films and there's a lot of films that I compare it to or at least see similarities in um, when he's in his dressing room in that last scene um, or not the very last scene but the sort of the last act that he's about to go on stage and yeah. do his last performance um, the whole time I was thinking uh, Birdman I'm like and he goes to pull the uh pull the drink out from behind the mirror and I was like is he gonna pull a fucking gun out from behind this mirror and go on stage is that where we're headed and the film gets dark enough that I was like that could be a possibility but the, I mean the film gets dark the, the thing that the film does that is part of what I can't stand about the whole storyline of A Star Is Born mm-hmm. is the the story of um, Charlie Chaplin's character Calvero and um, Claire Bloom's ballerina character you know their characters are essentially to a certain degree falling in love Yeah. but at no point are you sitting there going I don't buy this for a sec like the chemistry is there the relationship their history is there Yeah. and it's that sort of weird thing where it's like it is, but it isn't romantic. Yeah. The love that they have for each other. So as a result, you buy you you kind of buy into a sort of dependency that they have for each other and how they're handling 
um, this other suitor yeah. coming into the frame. I, you, you believe their their love for each other, and you don't. At least for me, and I don't think a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I think a lot of people would feel the same way. Um, you don't think about them having a physical, intimate relationship. I mean, that's not something that comes up, and from the characters, and it's not something that you think of. You do think of the dependency on one another, and the fact that they do love each other for what the other person brings out in them. Out of them, yeah. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, with this film, I would say if you are able to get a chance to watch this, um, it is on Criterion Collection, which is uh, how we watched it, and of course it's Criterion Collection, so the the transfer over of this older film to Blu-ray looks spectacular. Yeah, it's um, but if you're looking to watch it and you like watching a lot of films and you like watching a lot of films that are considered creme de la creme, I do know Criterion is going to be starting their own streaming service. I'm not sure how much it's going to cost, really? but if you're someone who has like a Netflix and you never, you can never, you're always looking for something really good to watch, but you can never find anything. Um, you know, I'm not being paid to say this. I wish I was, but yeah. um, I would definitely look into the Criterion Collection uh, streaming service when that comes out. I know that there, it's that them kind of filling the void where Filmstruck was when that sadly went under. Yeah. Uh, earlier this, um, at the end of last year. But if you're looking for other things to watch, uh, Buster Keaton's The General is my favorite silent film of all time uh it's got it's got a sequence in it that i always challenge people to not laugh out loud at when they watch it yeah um with um with harold lloyd because for me you don't recommend one without recommending the other two gotcha um that's partially just because i went to college with a family member of the harold lloyd family so I, I always make sure to do justice because I need yeah, to do in that in case now. he's listening. Wait, but um, but obviously, safety last is the quintessential uh, Harold Lloyd film. Everyone knows the image of him hanging from the broken clock tower. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that movie as a whole, it's is it's exceptional film, and that whole sequence will have you both laughing and on the edge of your seat. It's, mm-hmm. br- it's again, Harold, what Harold Lloyd did for um, elevating the physical comedy slash stunt work that, and combining the two and upping the ante with them is um, like the pinnacle of that. Maybe not debatably, but I'll say debatably, just to be on the safe side, is um, safety last. Yeah. So. Well, you know, when you told me that your favorite film was a Charlie Chaplin film and I had no basis for what we were about to watch, mm-hmm. I said, oh, this is perfect because my kid loves slapstick humor so I can bring it over. I didn't know it would be a goddamn meta character piece and not a, you know... Anyway. If you want to watch something that's a little bit funnier <laughs> of Charlie uh, Chaplin's... Be, <laughs> um, for that modern times that's my big recommendation if you want to watch one that's about that's roughly the same level of comedy and seriousness obviously the great dictator his Mm -hmm. fantastic take on hitler right in the middle of world war ii Mm -hmm. 
Um, and if you're looking for something that's going to make you cry, his first uh, full-length film, The Kid. Okay. Which, that made me cry before having a child, so I haven't watched it since, uh, just for the sake of oh, not running out of tissue. Gosh. I mean, I gotta, we got to go back and talk about a trailer that I watched for a movie called The Kid. Did you see this oh, trailer? Yes, yes. Vincent D'Onofrio's uh, directorial film, Western with Ethan Hawke, uh, Dane DeHaan, and uh, Chris Pratt as the villain. Yes. Which I could not tell it was him until they told me in the trailer. It was, when I watched that trailer, I'm sorry, are we uh, are we done with uh, Limelight? Yes, we moved on from Limelight. Okay, it's all right. Limelight, incredible film. Yes. Can't recommend it highly enough. Um, the kid looked incredible. And the first mm-hmm. thing I saw when, when I realized it was two actors from um, the remake of Magnificent Seven. Seven. I was like, God damn it, this is going to be rated PG-13 and be, you know, could potentially be a lot better, but they're not, it's not going to be as visceral as it probably should. And then mm-hmm. I realized it was rated R and I go, wow, I'm really, really interested in this film. That, I believe, comes out uh, this coming weekend, same as Captain Marvel. Gotcha. So We might have to make it a little double Potential, Potentially, we might have to be going to see more than one film this weekend. I shouldn't trust Dane DeHaan anymore. I really shouldn't because I only truly love one film he's in. But he just keeps giving me reasons to give him another chance. This movie is I I this trailer looks really really interesting. If you actually had confidence in Valerian, I haven't your, even watched it. I haven't even if, watched if it. If you have confidence in that film that's your own damn fault. <laughs> Nobody you don't get to blame anyone else. Another film that and that one also has Ethan Hawke in it, although I'm sure, Don't make me less excited. I'm sure. I'm sure movie. Ethan Hawke doesn't want to. <laughs> but all right. Yeah. No, the kid definitely one worth seeing. Yeah. Um, Especially the one with Bruce Willis. God damn it! All right. Talk, lead us into your favorite movie. Okay. So my favorite movie is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think it is a perfect film. Um, is virtually flawless. I started watching it it has to be about a week ago at this point and finished it yesterday morning and it i mean i will never not love this film it is so timeless it exists to me it exists completely out of time for a lot of the reasons that um i think limelight holds up so well it's Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's one of those movies where the characters kind of talk a mile a minute mm-hmm. and everything they say is a joke. Like, you know, there's there's this rule in comedy, particularly stand-up comedy, it's as few words as possible to the punchline. Yeah. And that movie is nothing but punchline. Every yeah. character, had, they, they no, say it, nothing but punchlines throughout the entire film. I just, I think it works so well as so many different movies to so many different people and so many different age groups when i watched this movie as a kid it was a purely adventure film Mm -hmm. let's go into a chocolate factory this movie is going to be pure joy when i watch it as a teenager you pick on you pick up on more and more jokes and you kind of appreciate it more as a musical as an adult it is a straight up comedy i don't like i don't see this movie as a musical anymore Mm -hmm. although it has some of the catchiest in best music ever put to film in my opinion to a certain point but we'll definitely come back to that (laughs) but i mean i appreciate it as so many movies but i think it is a perfect comedy Mm -hmm. um the casting of 
Gene Wilder is, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's completely. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I made a note while I was watching the movie that just said "Long live Gene Wilder." Yeah, um, he passed away my first week starting at, um, the pizza place that I now work at, mm-hmm. and I legitimately turned to my boss when I got a text message from my girlfriend and one of my best friends, and I said, "I think I need to take the rest of the day off," because I. Uh, it... I well, I remember. Um, I remember when I found out Robin Williams passed away. I basically like sat in my room in my apartment by myself, just kind of unable to comprehend life. Were you? Where were you working or, or living at the time? Uh, when Robin Williams passed away, I was living in Los Angeles. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I was at the movie theater. I was at the movie theater the at the moment at he the passed. moment he passed. He um or at least at the moment they announced it. It was the premiere of a movie starring um oh shoot the dude like the dude from um Jeff Bridges. Yes, Jeff Bridges. They were in the Fisher King together. Yeah, that right. He had a movie premiering that evening, mm-hmm. and we were pre- we were showing in the in the movie theater. A live like red carpet, you know, during before the movie, hmm. and they broke the news to Jeff Bridges on the red oh, carpet. Oh, that's terrible of them! Uh, like at his oh, movie fuck premiere. Them. <laughs> I wish I could remember what the movie was. If I was him, I would have just punched them right in the face. But yeah, maybe it was, was the True Grit remake. And I just no, remember shortly after he passed away was when the last Night of the Museum movie came out, and mm. I was just like, well, there. are... It's not the worst movie to go out on. <laughs> well, it's better that it's, yeah. nobody will ever nobody will ever suffer. I think quite the way that Walter Matthau did, where his last movie was that hanging up movie with um, Meg Ryan, Diane Keaton, and Goldie Hawn as the bickering sisters, and he was um, there like he was he was their father who was like super handsy with all the nurses at his nursing home. Oh, gotcha. And I remember watching that movie, and even as a kid, going, well, "That's just not the right way to go." I remember when uh, that's not the that's rem- not the way to be the end. <laughs> I remember when Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away, and what I think his last film was the second or third Hunger Games. Yeah, and I mean that's a comment of how much I distaste that or hate that film. But I was like, you know, yeah, that's like, horrible. That's yeah. his last film. <laughs> um, no, I made a lot of notes because I hadn't watched Willy Wonka in years. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't tell you the last time I saw this movie until I watched it the other night, and so I made a lot of notes. Um, for me, just because there was a lot of things. I mean, first and foremost, I just have to say, um, the scene with the mom at her slave labor job is yeah. what it seemed like. That yeah. scene and that song are Johnny. some of the worst. Like, that's one of those things I can't stand. As a kid, I hated that part yeah. because it wasn't funny. No. It wasn't Gene Wilder. It, the, the there's no color. There's no life to it. It's yeah. completely separate from the rest of the film. Yeah, it's the most dreary looking part of the whole movie. And you've got this mother who just the woman looks like she was. They made her lug all the equipment in before <laughs> filming the scene, and she's singing the song like "Cheer Up." And even as a kid, I'm going, "You're letting your kid walk home in the middle of the night." <laughs> He can't hear you. He's too busy focusing on making sure he doesn't get kidnapped. <laughs> um, but I've always... And re-watching the movie, I'm sitting there, like, dreading it. Like, oh, God, this is as bad as I remember. 
They say, it is. It, you think it is. I can't stand that part. Oh, I cannot man. stand that part of the movie. I um, truly think, I would thought that like, as a, just like me, as a dad working a shitty job just to provide for your kid, you'd understand that that scene is not, I mean, it's it not doesn't, great. It it's doesn't not mean, that bad. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that it doesn't like make, it makes the movie come to a screeching halt and the song is the weakest that song movie. in the movie. It is absolutely the weakest song in the movie, and it's 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 literally just you keep cutting between these hilarious, brilliantly written, be- brilliantly shot scenes of you know the hunt, the world the, reacting, the, yeah. the world reacting, the hunt for, and then we keep cutting back to the Bucket family having the same damned conversation. But everyone's... T- it's literally like they all pull out a little slip of paper out of the hat. Who's the hopeful one? Who's the one who doesn't have their hopes up? Who's the one who doesn't want anyone to be getting anyone else's hopes? Up? It's like yeah. they all... Each time, they each pick a different paper out of the hat and have to play their part. Yeah. And it that part to me drove me crazy. You see, um, I, I think that works for the film, though. I, I When I watch the film now, the moments with the Bucket family before Charlie gets the golden ticket mm-hmm. are very slow. But I feel like you see in this movie the plot in the world doesn't really revolve around Charlie until he gets the golden ticket. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't get the golden ticket until almost like a half an hour into the film. At least. We are we are a half an hour into the film when he finds the coin in the mm-hmm. gutter, goes into the candy store, you know, buys yeah. a Wonka bar... And then comes out and realizes that a golden ticket is still out in the wild and that he might have it in his hand. Yeah. And that is the only... Well, don't get me wrong. I love the first scene with the family where he brings home the loaf of bread. I love that whole scene. I actually... I enjoy that George, Grandma Georgina, (laughs) Grandma Josephine, and Grandpa Joe. Yep. (laughs) All these people where you just don't think too hard... About the fact How that none of them... It's not even It's not even like having to get dirty about it. Just like, none of these people have gotten out of this bed in 20 years. That's what the mom is doing in that scene before she sings uh-huh. the song. She's having... That's how deep cleaning she has to do those sheets. For so many different reasons. Yeah. But I just, like, I mean, I had a bunch of different things, like... But I, I, as a here's here was the one that right out the gate bothered me uh-huh. that I never thought about as a kid. But then it hit me while I was watching the movie this time, when at the end of Candyman, at the end of that song, okay, you've got Charlie looking into the store, <laughs> and I immediately <laughs> just found myself going, "Dude, he's giving the candy away for free. Just go in you the don't store. need money. Just get in there. He's just gonna give it to you." Okay. To be fair, watch that scene again, and he's throwing shitty stale marshmallows at these kids. <laughs> that is that is something I realized while watching the hey, the movie again. Some of those kids are getting like sheets and sheets of those paper dots. <laughs> I actually dig those. Oh, I dig them too. But you're eating mostly paper when you eat those. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Okay. I can live with that because those are. I like them. Um, but no, that, the other thing I really noticed, um, and I swear this is as political as I'm going to get, um, that we're going to get for any of this is halfway through the hunt, I realized that this, you could literally show the hunt for the chocolate bar and how people are talking to each other and how they're behaving and watching, I just went, oh my God. 
I finally understand Brexit. <laughs> it just clicked. Like, all of a sudden, it just clicked out of nowhere. I don't know why. Um, I also, and maybe this is me thinking, as weird as to say this, maybe this is me thinking to Hollywood, but I would have loved if they had gone, like, airplane style mm-hmm. with, um, with the whole hunt. Like, you know, the the cop who's helping the lady whose husband was taken hostage. Yeah. What if that was Peter Falk doing his Columbo? Uh-huh. Like, things like that. You like, see... It, again, it's a little Hollywood to think, like, oh, this would be great with cameos, but... It is a, it is a little Hollywood, and I, I don't know necessarily if that would make the film any better or worse, but like I said, I feel like this movie exists out of time, and re-watching this movie... There, like I said, there's so many aspects of it that work, and I feel like you. There's nothing in this film that you can't say or do today, right now in 2019. Mm-hmm. There, when I go back and watch whatever it might be, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> like I love that film. Clerks, I love that film, but they use some like very not okay homophobic slurs yeah that you straight up will not hear Keanu Reeves say anymore you straight up will not hear in Kevin Smith's Jay and Silent Bob reboot I mean but no literally the only thing that is kind of not okay in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is when they see the Oompa Loompas for the first time and Mike TV goes well they can't be real people and you go oh Mike TV I guess you've never seen a little person before it's, well, yeah, that's like, okay, is that against little people? Is that against their skin color? Is that against the fact that for some reason, each one of them put some weird thing in their knees so that way their knees are jutted? Like, I, I was trying to figure out the knees for way too much of the movie, I have to admit it. Yeah. Um, we will... We've got to hit... Um, we got to hit the button on this, but we're going to hit recording again, so keep an eye out for um, part two, which should be listed right underneath this. We'll be back to have me try to remember why I talk about being okay with someone killing me while watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, we'll finish our thoughts on Willy Wonka and then go into some movie news and then wrap it up. Absolutely. So um, look for part two. Alright, welcome back to part two of uh, episode one. We are in the middle of discussing Alex's favorite film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, As I was saying at the end of the last one, I noticed that I had a note that I wrote down. I wrote something down for some reason I wrote, I've never been so okay knowing someone is going to kill me. (laughs) Given the next note, I assume that I was referring to my personal enjoyment of the boat ride. Oh, yeah. Um, even as a kid, I was like, this isn't scary, this is awesome. I, like, I would literally, at the end of this, probably go, can I do that again? Can we, yeah, can we I was kind of, I didn't get to see everything on that side. I was watching this side, I didn't get to see that side. Well, you so can't go backwards. You gotta go forward to go back. Yeah, well, once I get to the end, <laughs> I'll just start over again. Um, Alright, you gotta, you gotta let me, for a moment, well, probably three minutes, just say all of the best quotes in this film because this movie is so like 
I, I will say that I think the best bit of the entire movie was Jim Wilder's improvised bit with the teacup where he drinks out of mm-hmm. it and then bites it. For, I don't know why, but to me, that's the best bit in the whole movie. Well, this movie is... for Part of the reason is my favorite film of all time. It is, in my opinion, the most quotable. Yeah. Um, it has some of the best quotes mm-hmm. from a film ever. Okay. Uh, but it also has quotes that I could legitimately use in just speaking to people on a day-to-day basis. I mean, when I say that, particularly the first third, the movie is not a movie about Charlie Bucket. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it is. It is about his want to go into the factory, his, his desire to get a golden ticket. But we could be following any kid for that first third of the film. We basically establish him, but then we keep going back to him, mainly just to remind you that he exists. Yeah. Because we don't need him yet. Exactly. He's not He's not interesting, and he is not the star of the film until a half an hour in. And so, so much of why the first third of the film works is seeing the rest of the world explode in the hunt for the golden ticket. I mean, some of the best lines is... The man in the uh, in therapy, going, the archangel appeared to me, and he told me the location of the golden ticket, <laughs> and the therapist ira- irrationally asking him where the golden ticket was, and he goes, "Where does that matter? It was a dream." <laughs> when the when the man finds it, like makes the computer to tell him where the golden ticket is, and he's like, the computer says, "I won't tell. That would be cheating." Now I'm telling the computer, if he tells me the correct answer, I'll gladly share with him the grand prize. He says, what would, compu- what would a computer do with a lifetime supply of chocolate? I'm now telling the computer exactly what he can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. I, that, that's a great scene. I just want to put, because I made a side note for it, that that computer was named the Siemens system. <laughs> I noticed that, knew I needed to bring it up. I mean, so. Siemens is a, is a very large company. I mean... <laughs> It does, you know, we talked about the um, Cheer Up Charlie scene, mm-hmm. and that's when Charlie, you know, goes into, you know, work with his mother, do laundry with her, yeah. and uh, she can see he's depressed, and she goes over to him, what's wrong, and he's, you know, saying how he thinks he should get the golden ticket, or he thinks mm-hmm. that he's not going to be one of the kids to go get yeah. a golden ticket, and she goes, Charlie, there's a hundred billion people in this world, and all of them are searching for golden tickets, which is either her severe ignorance of how many people are, exist in the world, or this is taking place in the future and overpopulation has just run rampant. See, I... For me, it was just bad parenting. <laughs> like, yes, you don't want to give your kid help, but at least, like... I mean, we have kids now. Like, Daniel Tiger's mom would have handled that so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but why do you want the golden ticket? <laughs> What would, like she'd be asking the like that computer was the, yeah. was rational and would be perfect to have that conversation <laughs> with a kid, like what would you do with a lifetime supply of chocolate? <laughs> I'd eat it. Well, no, you shouldn't. I mean, but Jim Alder obviously has the best lines in the film, the most memorable well, ones. Yes, yeah, that's that's without question. The the part that will make me just always laugh just without fail is when Augustus Gloop falls into oh, yeah. the river 
and he goes, help, police, murder. Yeah. And it is so spot on. Oh, yeah. No, his, his, his great range of just, like... He gives you because I know I know from reading a bunch of trivia with the movie that there was um, there were they they had thoughts about making it at least semi clear in the movie that of the five kids before they even got to the factory, Willy Wonka had selected Charlie. Mm. That everything else was a formality, but he had already selected him. Yeah. Um, and so, like, his Gene Wilder's, like, very nonchalant, like, almost complete indifference yeah. to what was happening to these other four kids was was part of that. Was part of his, like, I don't care because I'm not giving you crap. Like, yeah. you're basically doing what I was hoping you would do, which is null and void the contract so I don't have to give you anything. Yeah. Um, I do, and I put this note, and this is something that I've always thought. I want to hear the director during the wall-licking scene. I want to hear... Because you know that that director is talking to mostly children. And then turning to his assistant and going, I feel so dirty right now. I feel so in a, like how am I being allowed to say this stuff to these children? Yeah, um, that's when um, Charlie and Grandpa Joe rejoined the group, right? No, they re. That's right before they lose the. That's right before they ditch the group for the the fizzy drinking gotcha. stuff. Fizzy lifting drink. The fizzy lifting drink. Um, because they rejoined them in the room with the the geese. Gotcha. gotcha. Um. So, and that is the the plot for the first, you know, third, like we've talked about, doesn't really char- follow Charlie, kind of just goes back to him. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily follow him in the, uh, in the factory until he gets to the room with the fizzy lifting drink. Yeah. And when him and Grandpa Joe have that exciting sequence where... You know they're gonna go, go up into the into the fan and it's gonna tear them to ribbons. Um, you know we don't see what's happening with the rest of the group, and that's one of like it, it's a very interesting scene because mm-hmm. Willy Wonka doesn't question where they've been, but he knows explicitly at the end what happened. And well, yeah, you have to. I mean, at some point we, you know, we never really see in a moment, but clearly at some point an Oompa Loompa comes up to him yeah. and goes. Assholes. These dude, assholes. did you not? We we left you a note in your office to make sure these people didn't touch that stuff. Yeah. So why did I just lose Fat Mike and Carl to the fan while they were trying to clean that room? <laughs> Again, the Fat Mike—that's a two percenter joke for zero percent of the people listening. <laughs> Well, I like to think that maybe that was, you know, that was meant for another child to actually go up into the ceiling fan. You know, maybe that was the last ditch for Augustus Gloop. There's so many. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I don't know, because he probably just burps as a normal way of breathing, <laughs> so it wouldn't affect him at all. I mean, the, the, the things, you know, Augustus Gloop, obviously, he goes for the Chocolate River, but 
so many of the things are left out for the children to have and abuse, and then that becomes their their downfall. Mm-hmm. You know, was the fizzy lifting drink meant for a child to take and, you know, that be their end? <laughs> I, possibly. I don't know. Um, I wanted to smack Charlie and Grandpa, Grandpa Joe during the office scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally wrote down at one point, one of them says, did we do something wrong? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know. You know you did something. You're poor, not stupid. Like, <laughs> like you've had great morals this entire movie. Mm-hmm. You've been very morally, structurally sound. Um, except for when Grandpa Joe's totally fine if Charlie stole the bread. Yeah. Um, with the exception of that point. With the, exception of, with the exception of that... Who cares how he the, got it? What matters is how he got it. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but with the exception of that moment, their morals have been very clear throughout the whole movie, and they just kind of throw them away for the fizzy lifting drink. And then they just play ignorant mm-hmm. in the office. And I was just like, are you... What? You know, the office scene is something that... As much as I say this is a flawless film, and I do believe that... The office scene is a scene that feels very weird. It feels very out of character for all three of them. Because Willy Wonka to this point, you know, if he's been... He's never been malicious, if anything. Mm-hmm. He's been indifferent yeah. to the children, you know, falling into their own kind of D- Demise, yeah. But, you know, this is where he is explicitly angry and yeah. yelling. And, I mean, it, it's portrayed incredibly well by Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. He's... You know, the only person who could pull off that switch from, to, you know, to sheer intensity. Yeah. Uh, but everyone kind of feels a little out, out of character. Well, I even, I even put Wonka isn't the bad guy as a note because it's just like. He's not. I mean. Because it, well, it just like for some reason they make him. The, uh, and I, I don't know why. I don't know if I saw it in the trivia and forgot it. But I, it, yeah, they just seem to go into such a an over-the-top intense place. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you told me the logic was, is we're trying to make Charlie hate him. Yeah. He's trying to make Charlie... Trying to put himself right to the edge of Charlie hating him to see if Charlie will still be a good person and give back the everlasting yeah. gobstopper. Which... If he had just... What I wonder is... If Charlie had never taken one... Mm-hmm. Which basically means if Grandpa Joe had kept his fat mouth shut when they were giving him out. Yeah. But if he had never... If he had never taken one at the eventing room, would Wonka have just called it right there? Would Wonka have just been like, okay, now you guys all go this way, and then we just hear them all plummet. And he starts telling them, oh, you won, you did, you won. Like, would that have been what would have happened? Or would he still have gone through the whole story? But I don't know. It's... Mm-hmm. um. So if you were, I mean, outside of obviously this movie, which I think you can watch this on Amazon Prime right now, I could I be wrong. I think they took it off of everything, because I was, you know, I have a, uh, I mean, it wasn't a valuable collector's edition, but it was like 100,000. Um, Printed yeah. sort of thing. And I have one of them that has like a book and, you know, yeah. um, special edition kind of artwork and stuff. But, uh. Yeah, I was trying not to dig that out of wherever I had it, but I had to. Um, 
so I don't think it's any on any streaming services now. But you definitely do yourself a favor and watch it if you never have. If you never, if you've never watched it, um, if you can't find it on a streaming service, uh, I'm sure it's a, it's only like a couple of bucks to rent on one on like Amazon, or you know, you can always go to Walmart or Best Buy and pull it out of the five dollar bin yeah. um, to watch it that way because. They started making so many anniversary editions of that movie that they yeah. just can't get rid of them now. <laughs> so it's easy enough to get a hold of. Do you have any movies you would uh, you would recommend to anyone if they like this movie that they should watch that are similar? Oh boy, um, this is my favorite film of all time. This movie is not my favorite comedy, but it is one of my favorite comedies, and I do think it is the greatest comedy ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is Young Frankenstein. And that is a that is an even better representation of Gene Wilder's comedic chops. I agree. And um, I mean, you want to talk about the the best parody director writer of all time. He is it's, my second all time favorite writer. My all time my second all time favorite director, hands down. Yeah, Mel Brooks. Uh, Mel Brooks. Is, um, everything he touches is flawless. What What I will say with Young Frankenstein because. I've seen and loved every single Mel Brooks film. Um, what I can say is if you can get through the opening scene in the lecture hall of Young Frankenstein without laughing out loud once, yeah. turn it off, you're never going <laughs> to laugh. You're not going to get never it. You're never going to find it funny, so don't even bother. Just give up right then and there. Um, and that's that's a... Uh, that's a black and white it, it works because it's black and white yeah it's black and white because it's you know being the homage to the old 1930s universal movies um, but no excellent film um, I would say uh, if you enjoy Willy Wonka's a film that's very very similar um, they were made roughly around the same time give or take there is this old film it might be a little hard to find because I don't think it's on any streaming services but it's called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Okay. I've never this seen was this. actually a film where the screenplay was written by Dr. Seuss. Not a screenplay written based off of something by Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss himself wrote the screenplay for this film. Okay. And the whole concept is this kid finds himself in this weird, weird world that is run by his dictatorish piano teacher okay where the other people basically all the it's very wizard of Oz. it's another one of these films that like willy wonka was made to kind of market off of the success of wizard of oz um so there's there's some music including one or two songs that people might actually know um it's all you know Visuals that are very Dr. Seuss looking and all practical because of the time period. Gotcha. Um, but you get it's it is a it is very much the sort of film that you can tell people that had not spent their life sober had made. You know the <laughs> the main henchmen of the film are two semi elderly men on roller skates that are connected together by their joint beard <laughs> and no I did not screw up the description of those characters <laughs> at all 
but it is a it is a fantastic film. Uh, the guy who plays Doctor T, I can't think of his name right now, but he is a phenomenal character actor. Who, if you've watched any th- any TV show from the '60s, you'll recognize him from being in something you've seen at some point. Gotcha. Um, but he's he's as close as recognizable as anyone in that movie really is. Mm-hmm. But it's an exceptional film. It's really smart. It's really original. Really creative. Um, visually unlike anything you're going to watch. So that's my big recommendation. Um, yes, Willy Wonka. Um, come for the candy, stay for the Gene Wilder, I guess. That's <laughs> the best way to put it. You know what's um, really interesting is our uh, our movies have something very unique in common. Helping someone to walk again by through a dance scene. <laughs> <laughs> When I was watching it at your house, I was like, is he going to pick up on this, or am I going to have to say this? Okay, I'm going to have to say this. Yeah, you had to say it. I didn't even notice that. <coughs> Alright. So I mean, gonna... at least Charlie doesn't smack uh, Grandpa Joe in the face. Comes close a couple of times. He comes times. close. <laughs> Both he's... accidentally and on purpose, I think, but he comes close. Um... Yeah, so there's been... Um... Moving on to, to a little bit of news, the episode is a little longer than normal because we're covering two movies on this episode, and because we're it's our first episode, we're still fine-tuning yeah. the little details. Um, there's been a couple of interesting casting choices. Uh, I know Idris, Elbus, Idris Elba, um, he is at least in talks, if not full-on confirmed at this point, to replace Will Smith as... Deadshot for Suicide Squad 2, yeah. uh, which is going to basically, between him and James Gunn, both feeling screwed over by Marvel, Yeah, Suicide Squad 2 is looking to become a very... At some point, that movie is going to take some incredibly unsubtle jab at Marvel. It's I mean, pretty much I, a guarantee. I think that... They're also upgrading in their cast. Oh, absolutely. I don't think Idris Elba is necessarily... I mean, do you think he's upset with Marvel? I think. He was, well, he was happy that they killed him off in Infinity War and he could yeah. be done playing the character. Well, what I think is really... Mm, Same as Zachary Levi was happy to be killed off in Thor Ragnarok yeah. so he could go off and do Shazam. Like, well, that's... That's, uh, you know, Zachary Levi got virtually no screen time in Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. While I think yeah. Idris Elba's um, Heimdall had a... Very, it had, he had his most interesting arc. He in had he had Thor the best Ragnarok. arc of a not of anyone who wasn't Thor or Loki. Yeah, I mean I agree. he he definitely had. When you cut back to him, he is the hero of Asgard when the yep. heroes of Asgard are gone. Yeah, I mean he is keeping the people in hiding. He's getting mm-hmm. the people off of the off of the planet, um, and I think he kind of does have a. It's not necessarily a spectacular death, but it is a selfless death. It is a, he, it's a noble one. Yeah. It's a very noble death. Um, so, I don't know that he's, um, like we said, he's not upset with Marvel, but I do think it is going to be very interesting, Suicide Squad 2. And I would be interested if they even call it that, because if James Gunn is going to be as heavily involved as they say, if he's going well, he, to be the writer and director, mm-hmm. and if they do get uh, Idris Alba, and if I do if they do what I think they will do, which is pull away from Margot Robbie because she is not the most interesting thing in that film, I think if James Gunn builds a more interesting cast and a more interesting 
cast of characters in the film. And we see Idris Elba, you know, flex his comedy chops, which I don't we know think he has. I don't think we've seen this. We've, we've seen it a little bit when he uh, guest starred on The Office, the, the American version of The Office. Okay. Um, there weren't any examples that I could really point to. I there are other there are other things I would have to like go back and look at the names of, but he's he is he has used his he has comedy chops. Yeah, he has he has a very good sense of comedic timing. Gotcha. Um, what I find interesting is that this is the first sequel to a film back when DC was trying to have their whole cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. This is their first sequel for one of those movies. Now that they've gone. We're just each movie's whatever it wants to be. If it's connected, it's connected. If it's not, it's not. Yeah. So we're getting our first movie that where suddenly all the rules are thrown out. Yeah. Um, I think they're gonna they're going to I think they're gonna be able to back away from Margot Robbie and show some other characters. I think I think it's critical that they do. Well, I think they will, given the fact that they are gonna have their cake and eat it too with the Margot Robbie and the Birds of Prey mm-hmm. movie. Um which assuming has a the, ridiculous title that no one's going to actually say when they assu- go into a movie theater. Assuming that it's even any good, because that's the critical thing is that the movie mm-hmm. has to be good, um, which that's up for debate. But <laughs> we need to see a trailer first before really passing judgment. We saw that trailer, you know, the bubblegum pop, like twenty minutes of them dancing around in costumes. Oh, I saw just like little bits of that. Okay, I, don't know. I oh. think I saw like a gif of that. If we're calling, if we're calling that a trailer, then yeah, I'm already skipping that <laughs> theater. I'll go rewatch something at the theater. Um, and then you, there was some piece of casting news that you were excited to tell me for the first time on here. So, Killian so. Murphy is one of my favorite actors working currently. Okay, I've loved him since probably since Twenty Eight Days Later. Which I don't think I've actually seen from start to finish. I was hoping you were going to say Red Eye, but continue. I am going to say Red Eye because Red Eye is an incredible <laughs> film. Red Eye is such a good film. It is a guilty pleasure Wes Craven film. And it just works. It works so well. I loved him then. I loved him when he was Scarecrow throughout the... Uh, he was probably one of the best parts of the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. That's a whole three-hour episode for me to get through talking about those movies. <laughs> um, but Killian Murphy is reportedly the front runner for James Bond if Daniel Craig backs out of the next film. And I think seeing him in Peaky Blinders and seeing him in these more intense roles... I'm really interested to to see what that would look like. I, I just I just don't care about James Bond anymore. Uh, I used to be a huge fan. I still think From Russia with Love is the most underappreciated of the Bond films mm-hmm. and one of the best ones. Yeah. I still think Goldeneye or not Goldeneye, Goldfinger is the most overrated Bond film given that People are always just like, oh, it's such a great Bond film, it's such a great Bond film. The the villain is taken down by cops called by the Bond girl. <laughs> James Bond is too busy getting his ass kicked <laughs> by 
odd job or random task. I can't remember which one's the... the <laughs> I can't remember which one is we're taking it serious from Bond and which one is we're being on the nose from Austin Powers. Yeah. I think it's odd well, job. <laughs> I, um... I don't know. I think that casting would be really interesting. Um, they had thrown around Idris Alba as possibly being the next James Bond. Yeah, but they, he was he was called to street, I think. Oh, that's a horrible way to put that. I know. Um, um, no, they meant it. Ra- <laughs> they meant it as a racist thing when they said it. Did you see the picture? I think it was last Oscars of um, Idris Alba sitting almost directly next to uh, Daniel Craig. And he posted some like awkward picture to to Twitter of like, well, this is awkward <laughs> sitting next to him. Um, I feel no, like I, think... I feel like anyone going to Daniel Craig and asking his opinion, his opinion, it would be like when they asked um, Harrison Ford about who should play young Han Solo, and his answer was, <laughs> "Don't do it." <laughs> Clearly, people should have listened to him. <laughs> well, I think Killian Murphy actually, I think. A couple of years ago would have been more interesting as a cue, as the, you know, agreed, as the the brains, the the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the gadget guy. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think him being a little older, and you know, if he is up to get in fighting form for you know the lead role, I think it could be really interesting. And the the thing I find funny right now is basically if you gave me a short list. You could give me the shortlist for James Bond and the shortlist for Batman. Yeah. And they would probably be the same damn list. Because they usually are. Yeah. Usually they look at the same list of guys for both roles. Yeah. It's just one of the lists has some Americans in it. Yeah. Um, if, if John Hammond... Uh... Oscar Isaac were, were British, they would, they would be the frontrunners for James Bond. I think... Well... I don't know if you saw, but Oscar Isaacs is likely going to be uh, Solid Snake for the that would be incredible. Solid movie. Yeah, Which, no, I, yeah, I did see that. He's I, basically he's throwing his hat in the ring for that. Well, somebody, the director was talking to a friend, and the friend did a mock-up poster of Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. as Snake, and Oscar Isaac saw it and went, "I'm down." Yeah, if you guys well, want to do this, um, it was at a uh, a site that I like to follow, IGN. Mm-hmm. Max Scoville was uh, interviewing the cast of uh, that movie with Oscar Isaac and Ben Affleck and um, oh Triple Frontier yes he was asking them asking the whole cast if they'd ever be in a video game movie and mm-hmm. the whole cast was like well yeah I guess but none of them seemed like video game guys yeah so they didn't really know how to answer that and Oscar Oscar Isaac was like absolutely he's like I'm throwing my hat in the ring for uh, for Metal Gear Solid mm-hmm. and Max Scoville was like who would you play and he goes Snake and I like it. Seemed like a very confident. Like that would give me more hope. I I would be more interested. I'm concerned because it's the guy who did Kong Skull Island. Yeah, and he's clearly a little oversensitive about people talking about his movies, <laughs> given the temper tantrum he threw about Cinema Sins. Uh-huh. What I love was he threw the temper tantrum about Cinema Sins, and then he participated in the Honest trailer. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and he starts t- and he starts bashing his own movie, and I'm just sitting there going. You know this is a. This is your fault. B. A lot of this, like, a lot of this stuff, was in some way talked about on Cinema Sins. Yeah, he just said it in a way that was funny, <laughs> and not surrounded by. Here's all this memorabilia. Hopefully, somebody says, "Hey, if you sign that, I'll pay fifty bucks for it." 
Um, he's he's my biggest concern with that because while yeah. there were certain aspects of Kong Skull Island that were fantastic, character was not one of them. Yeah. Um, and if the ten hour movies that are each of those Mel Gear Solid games yeah. have taught us anything, it's all about character with them. Yeah. So well, you know he's. He's neither a concern nor a an encouragement for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that he seems to have some sort of like geek appeal because he is the guy who loves Metal Gear Solid and he loves uh, you know King Kong and he loves this and that. But I mean, so many filmmakers like video games and like these properties that he likes. You know, it'd be. I mean, I'd be more excited for Kevin Smith, whatever. But yeah. it would be like hearing that Kevin Smith is doing something like this. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a geek director doing a geek property, and that's why it has some people excited. Some people who have seen Kong Skull Island understand, you know, you probably shouldn't be that excited. But yeah. I don't think it's going to be any worse or better than Warcraft. <laughs> um, well, Warcraft was a whole thing of. I want to know who in the right mind said, hey, you know that guy that made the movie of Sam Rockwell talking to Kevin Spacey as emoticons? What if we had him make a movie that should just be nothing but action? Yeah. That sounds great. (laughs) I mean, that immediately is just like issue one. But, yeah, there's a thought for the next episode to drag people in. We'll, um... (laughs) we'll do I don't know if it'll be top five or not but we'll pick directors and video game properties that we would like to see making them so we'll do Um, that um since they just happened recently uh Oscars do you have any thoughts on them very little um I mean neither of us full disclosure watch the Oscars um, I know you I've, watched the highlights, basically. I didn't even... I watched um, Keegan michael Key float down on an umbrella to introduce Mary Poppins' okay. song at the Oscars, and I watched Olivia Coleman's phenomenal acceptance speech for Best Actress. Gotcha. That's literally all of the Oscars that I watched, but I followed during the night to see what was winning what. Um, I continue to be of the lesser opinion that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse should not have won Best Animated Film. Yeah. If for nothing else, just don't get me wrong, not a bad film. Not a bad film at all. Yeah. But in terms of the visuals, which for an animated film are pretty important, it's very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. The little, like, lines coming out from, like, hand claps and stuff like that were very inconsistent when they were there. Um... The whole concept of each of these Spider-Men has a different visual style completely falls apart in the third act when you've got, they're like, all of our New Yorks are melding together in the middle of this, for this big action set piece, and I'm looking at the screen going, no, that's one visual style, I, like, I don't see anything that looks like Spider-Ham or... Spidey Noir's world over there. Yeah. And it just kind of it made it really apparent um they had this idea that I feel like started with, hey, what if we made an entire movie that made you think that you needed to wear 3D glasses but it wasn't in 3D? <laughs> um 
what have, and it just seemed like they got lost they got lost so much in other aspects that they then had to give up on a bunch of their ideas for the visuals yeah and so they had to lose a lot of the consistency and their own established uh, rules of the visuals. Yeah. Well, you know, I uh, I think I liked Into the Spider-Verse um, more than you did. I didn't love it. Um, I also didn't hate it. I don't. You didn't hate it either. Um, but I did actually uh, buy it last week and rewatched it, and it is. A lot less aggressive when you are watching it at home. I on believe a, that. You know, a much smaller screen. Yes, I, when it's right in your face, it does look like you are watching a 3D movie and forgot to grab your 3D glasses on the way. Yeah. Um, when you're watching it at home, and you know it's not larger than life, it is a lot more manageable. Um, I think it actually served the film a lot better. It is still a fun, vibrant film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is an interesting uh, art style. It's it does have its inconsistencies. Um, the characters are not as unique as they'd like you to believe they are. Um, but it definitely you know still works. I I don't know. I haven't seen. So this is my big uh, point with the Oscars. Is this is actually what I want this podcast to do for me and you know maybe mm-hmm. you're on the, in the same boat I know you watched a lot a lot more movies than I did last year um, but I saw virtually none of the best picture nominees admittedly I saw very few of them as well um, I saw Black Panther and that was it I saw that one maybe one of the other ones um, and I don't to be fair I don't think they were particularly interesting I don't think this was a great year I have I have friends who did see all the films and they they all agreed that this year felt very empty I, um, I was very interested by Vice um, I do want to see Black Klansman um, I sort of want to see Green Book but you keep hearing stories about how uh, Mahir- Mahershala Ali mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to talk to the surviving family members or was be- led to believe that he didn't have any surviving family members, so he couldn't get there an were, accurate There portrayal. are so many weird stories that are, like... And then the grand finale of all the stories is that the director, back when he was making, like, raunch comedies, used to take his penis out as a joke in front of women. Gotcha, I have not um, heard that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a... Str- so, it, yeah, that one's got all sorts of stuff that's just too much to get into. Yeah, but... Bohemian Rhapsody shouldn't even have been nominated for Best Picture. Easy. Um... um for a lot of things and then A Star is Born was the flash pan film um Gaga fans and all the other people that were screaming the weekend it came out that it was the best film you'd ever seen you guys are what caused it to basically win nothing at the Oscars because there's always that film that people won't shut up about Mm -hmm. it gets nominations but then it goes home almost completely empty handed because everyone wouldn't shut the hell up about it this year it was A Star is Born it basically didn't even matter if Bradley Cooper could direct, you know, a, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I haven't seen, you know, admittedly, I haven't seen A Star Is Born yet. Um, like I said, I only saw one Best Picture nominee. But, I mean, seeing the trailers, it doesn't look like a poorly directed film. I would like to see what he can do. You know, it seems like a 
if he had not done A Star is Born and he had done something smaller like uh, Get Out or like um, if he hadn't gone straight for Oscar bait exactly he went straight if, for trying to make Oscar bait to raise his rank yeah, in Hollywood if he, if he had went for something like um, A Quiet Place or Get Out and I know these are two horror examples but these are mm-hmm. two first time actors and they, these films propelled their directing careers yeah. um, you know if he went for something smaller and we could see his directing style instead of just give me an Oscar please yeah. I would be much more interested in it yep also I think the Academy should have refused to nominate Lady Gaga for Best Actress, and they should have publicly said, if you want us to take you seriously as an actress, use a real name. <laughs> Even Dwayne Johnson stopped calling himself The Rock when mm-hmm. he decided he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. Stop using your damn performance name yeah. and use your real name. You know, We are not the audience of American Horror Story. Yeah. We are actually looking for quality, not just popularity, which I know with the Oscars, that's debatable. <laughs> but for a lot of us who look at what the best films of the year were. Yeah. And I mean, um, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was the rare exception of one of the films I actually saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have not seen Isle of Dogs. The only reason I've seen Incredibles 2 is because it's on... Uh, Netflix. I saw it in theaters with my my dad. It was a perfectly fine. It was. The funny thing is, is that it was kind of like what Force Awakens is to New Hope. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same movie, but we changed up just enough to hope that you wouldn't notice. Yeah, it was kind of that to me. So I was like, mm. Is it the second best uh, sequel that Pixar has ever made? If you're counting Cars 2 and Cars 3 and Monsters University, and we're not counting Toy Story 2 and 3 because those are obviously superior films. If we're counting the Cars sequels, Finding Dory, Monsters University, then yes, Incredibles 2 is the superior. (laughs) Um, But. Okay. No, I've. I think it was worth it. I'll leave it there because my joke opinion of it could be is not nice um i mean i still didn't finish it i'll probably finish that in a week and a half you know so um you know we'll see if that holds up if my opinion still holds up because i really enjoyed the first half i thought well there are some great action set pieces i mean i texted you during the helicopter chase that was legitimately like riveting Mm -hmm. that was one of the best things i've seen yeah there's some great action set pieces there's no denying that it's Mm -hmm. just story story wise is all i'm talking about yeah um, Luckily, I had Instagram for too much story. Those those new superheroes came in, and I was just like, "All right, I'm out." My kid's up from his nap. This isn't like I wasn't even watching it with the kid. He like he was asleep or something. I'm like, "All right, I'm done with this one." Uh, all right. Um, for for a final thing, we're each going to talk about five movies for um, this year that we're excited for. God damn it! I got um, whittle it down to five. Uh, all right, I ahead. didn't know you had so many. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have too too many. I could whittle it down. I kept fast. it to five. It'll and it'll adjust as the year goes on, and you know, smaller indie films become announced or become more apparent. Um, obviously, Rocket Man that we talked about earlier that's that's high up for me. Us, Jordan Peele's next film looks fantastic. Um, these are your honorable mentions, or these are no, these are my five. five. Okay, these are my five. Um, obviously, Avengers Endgame. 
very excited for that. Yeah. Um, and I've got all my own theories and thoughts on that. Uh, movie coming out called Yesterday, which yeah, that looks um, very interesting. That I, I I'm a big fan of the Beatles, and I like the concept of the movie. the The trailer was a little rough for me, but the concept I dig. So. Yes, I'm counting. On my yes, fingers. Alex is over here counting on his fingers as he's strolling through his list just to make sure. Uh, but my biggest, my biggest one for the year is the man who killed Don Quixote. Um, we are actually going to be going to see that for its one and only showing that it has as of right now in the states. It's uh, Terry Gilliam's next film. He's my all-time favorite director. Mm-hmm. Um, it's reuniting him with Jonathan Price. It's got Adam Driver in it, uh, but. It looks fantastic, um, and yeah, I'm just I'm really excited for that one. We I the day tickets became available for that event, I bought them, uh, so we're going to be going to see that. So that'll be something we end up talking about on here. And yeah, those are those are my five subject subject to change as uh, new smaller films become known. But yeah. okay, so I think my least anticipated but i still had to th- the all right i gotta throw a couple on old mentions in here um lion king because i want to see what they do um oh and that that gets an audible sigh from thomas um i really i'm really interested john favreau is an incredible director he is um <laughs> he absolutely is i don't disagree but my wife loves Disney, and we even walked out of Jungle Book in the theaters. We I mean, I probably should have. There was a kid running around in the theater um, when me and my sister saw that. I had a kid kicking the back of my seat, and that wasn't even the mo- number one reason why I wanted to leave. Um, I'm excited for Billy Eichner as Timon, and John Oliver as Zazu. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. that's that's all of my anticipation right there. No, the cast, the cast looks stellar. I think Beyonce is the worst choice they've they had. I think you pick Beyonce because she's a name, but I don't know. No, it's one hundred percent why you pick her. And I, I don't know how much she's gonna have to do with the, you know, story. From what I hear, she tried to get be prepared cut so she could have more in it for her. Okay. Well, it's still in there because <laughs> it, they got massive backlash. But who um, who is playing Scarlett? Uh, Chef One, Ecuador. Okay. Which is not how you pronounce his name That's... at all. I butchered it, <laughs> and I apologize. Um, I don't even know who you're talking about. Uh, and I don't know. I don't think it's the the lead guy from Twelve Years a Slave. He played okay. um, Mordo in Doctor Strange. Gotcha, gotcha. It's uh, that actor. Well, you know, so good actor. Okay, very good actor. I mean, the only reason that it's not Idris Elba is because. John Favreau already used him. Used him, yeah, exactly. Like, that is the only reason. Yeah, you already used him, and <laughs> the only reason it's not. Well, yeah, it's literally just. That's it's basically he 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 was in a rock and a hard place yeah. and had to find somebody. Well, I think I'm super excited about Donald Glover. I mean, I will eat up anything he does. I think he is absolutely a Renaissance man. He, I agree. He is a incredible performer, mm-hmm. um, in film and obviously musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great writer and director of Atlanta. Um, I'm super excited to see what he does with uh, with Simba. Um, if you have James Earl Jones, you don't recast that. So keeping him as Mufasa is probably one of the smartest things they're doing. Well, yes. Um, 
I'm one of the people who's not sick of Seth Rogen. I, it's and not that I'm sick of him. He has a movie coming out with Charlie Saron that looks fun. Yeah, it does um, look very fun. And but I saw I, he's just not. I don't know if I think he's the right cast casting choice for Pumbaa. Mm-hmm. But I'm not against him as Pumbaa. So well, I just saw that. Uh, in addition to Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen, Alexander Skarsgård, Bob Odenkirk, and Andy Serkis, and O'Shea Jackson Jr. are all in this movie, which I knew about O'Shea Jackson Jr. But I did not know about Andy Serkis or Bob Odenkirk specifically. I think I knew about Bob Odenkirk and that was it. So I mean, I'm more excited about that movie now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you got Lion we're wasting, King. We're wasting too much time on, on an honorable mention. That's not even one of the five. Yeah. Okay. To get into the five, the Child's Play remake. Okay. Um, I am not the biggest horror fan, mm-hmm. but I absolutely love the icons. I love Michael Myers. I love Jason Voorhees. Um, I don't love Freddy as much, but I... Chucky is one of my favorites. Um, I love the Child's Play films. It's they know how to be the right level of campy and tongue in cheek. You might be the only person I know who would go see a Chucky movie before a Freddy movie. Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if a Freddy movie and a Chucky fine, movie came out but... tomorrow, or you were like, "Let's go watch one or the other," I'm gonna pick Chucky every single time. Fair enough. Um, so Child's Play is number five. Uh, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is number four. I'm kind of burned out on Quentin Tarantino, but the cast that he has and the subject matter, I don't think he's going to handle well. I don't think he's going to be tasteful about. Um, I think there. He's already shown he has no interest in. He he will tell his he he will throw out history. If he thinks he can do something that he would find entertaining, yeah. So anyone who's excited about. Oh, it's like, oh, it's such... I don't even remember who people are playing, but oh, it's so-and-so. Don't get excited. Like, this is the guy who... This is the guy who ma- made you sit there and watch a bad Hitler dummy's face get blown off in Inglorious Bastards. This is, like, don't don't go in excited for somebody because of what you know about them. You're not going to get that. I mean, I am interested to see it just... I don't know, just because... I mean, I Reservoir Dogs is one of my favorite films. I think he oh, it's is, a phenomenal film. He is so far removed from that. Um, I didn't care for his last two films. I think he's become. I think at this point he is like somebody trying to make a film in the style of Quentin Tarantino. I don't think he. Yeah. I think that's all he is now. Yeah. I think that's all Inglorious Bastards. Um, Django Unchained and Hateful Eight. That's all any of those three films were to me. Well, I, you know, I th- actually think, and maybe this is just me, this is probably just me, but Inglourious Bastards, I think, was his final good film. Um, I mean, I think he was a great director when he was younger. And mm-hmm. yes, I kind of think he's doing a parody of himself. And he knows what his audience expects. And he knows, well, I gotta have this shot because this is a Quentin Tarantino shot. I have mm-hmm. a, I have to have a shot from the trunk of a car. I have to have a shot where someone opens a box and there's something that illuminates their face in it. Mm-hmm. Like just these key, I have to show someone's feet, these yeah. key Quentin Tarantino things. And I think Inglourious Bastards was probably his last great one. Um, and then, yes, I did not care for Django Unchained. Um, and I really did not care for uh, The Hateful Eight. He should have just refused to make the movie like he c- pretended he was not 
just yeah, trying to get people to get attention. Release the the script for that or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, All right. So what else is on the list? My third most anticipated is John Wick Chapter Three. Um, John Wick. John Wick is one of the best new action franchises. Um, I don't even think one of it is the best new action franchise. It is. It harkens back to old action franchise. It's, you know, the most spectacular gun fu. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even think that people knew what that was. It's got the best filming and the best editing of it's, action films out right now. When, when I watched the first John Wick, and that was something me and a couple of the guys from Cinemark screened, you know, in the theater. Mm-hmm. We watched that the night before it came out. And we saw the scene where he is in the nightclub and he's shooting guys to the beat of the music and you had never seen yeah you know you hadn't seen anything like that recently in something so visceral and Mm -hmm. so just that wasn't doing it for comedic purposes oh my gosh and the fact that keanu reeves like is just that way yeah is an intense like expert marksman now it's so it's just incredible and i'm so excited for chapter three um just the worst decision that they made in chapter two was killing off Ruby Rose because she is just sexy to everyone. So, uh, yeah. Um, my second most anticipated is my second and first are like go hand in hand Spider Man and Avengers Endgame. Um, Spider Man, I'm so excited to see. Uh, I have so many thoughts. You know, does it take place before or after uh, Infinity War? We're both of the opinion that it takes place before Infinity War. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that next week. We can make next week will probably be a little heavy on the Marvel because we'll be going to see Captain Marvel this weekend. But um, yeah, we'll definitely be discussing our Spider-Man theories, um, and then uh, Avengers Endgame. We haven't seen an action set piece in the trailer yet. Yep. We've only have the one trailer and the one. Um, Super Bowl spot. Um, I think that's that's literally all most people need. Um, Rocket throwing a door open is the most action we've gotten so far. <laughs> we should be getting one more trailer, and I think tickets go on pre-sale April 2nd. Okay. So bear that in mind. Gotcha. Um, but, because um, I bought tickets for the last two movies, so it's going to be your turn. Okay. you got to be on that shit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see what happens. I'm excited to speculate and theorize and finally figure out if if who dies if anyone dies if no one dies if everyone comes back if you yep. know um we can we can theorize about that with spider-man that'll probably be part of our theories yeah. i'm sure but we'll definitely have that all concocted together but yeah needless to say we will be at the theaters thursday night for avengers endgame screaming crying and laughing along with everyone else yeah I think that's safe to say. <laughs> all right. But, all right. So, thank you guys so much for coming, and we're going to wrap this up now. Um, in the future, obviously, uh, we'll only be doing one movie, so we'll be fine-tuning and tightening this up, so that way it's not as long of a listening experience for for anyone who is kind enough to listen. Yeah, we want to um, keep these about an hour long. Yeah, give or take. Um, for anyone who is enjoying this feel free to follow us we're going to have uh, our facebook and twitter feeds that we're going to be 
making sure are up and running for people to be able to follow. And you can uh, leave us comments there, suggest movies that you want to see us sit through and and uh, talk about, whether they be good or more likely if you're recommending them to us bad. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you guys next week where we will be talking about Captain Marvel. All right. Have a good one, guys.